The following program was made possible by Ward's lawyers. Find us at wardlegal.ca. I remember my early days of playing goaltender in the Ops Men's Hockey League. Each year at the draft, a new team would get stuck with me. Eventually, that team was Electric Electric. I was happy to play with its leader, Robert Salty, and many good players. But when they gave me my team sweater, it had the logo of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I hate the Toronto Maple Leafs, I told them. I cannot wear that sweater. My hero, Ken Dryden, of my beloved Montreal Canadiens, would never wear that sweater. Well, not until 1998, when he became president of the Maple Leafs. I prayed for a thousand mosquitoes from Lac Scugog to eat that Maple Leaf sweater. When that did not happen, I found an old t-shirt at magasin Vicky's Values in Lindsay with the logo of the Montreal Canadiens. I cut it out and sewed it on top of that Leafs logo. Many players from other teams laughed, but one was not happy at all. He told me quite fiercely, Monsieur Grignon, it is against the rules of men's ops hockey to do that to a team shirt. Remove that abs logo immediately. When I asked my team captain Robert, a really good guy, if this was true, he told me, Denis, as long as you stop the pucks and win us games, you can wear whatever sweater you want. And that is what I did. I tried to stop the pucks, and sometimes I did. That, by the way, is a true story. A snapshot of my playing goal for the Ops Men's Hockey League circa 12 years ago. And Rob Salties is a great guy, and he was a great team captain. Hmm, I wonder how he's feeling about last night's game involving our two respective teams. I know how I'm feeling. My name is Denny Gringow, and welcome to the program where we will hear how the old jail museum is ensuring our recent history since last spring will be preserved via your letters. Those end-of-driveway-free lending library boxes, they're nice, but we'll tell you about something that's arguably way cooler, if maybe a bit puzzling. It just makes me happy. I'm glad people are using it, and I'm glad that there's such quick turnover. The house we built is catchy and inspiring, and a perfect song, it turns out, to be featured on one of the most popular podcasts in the country and beyond. Musician and producer and hockey aficionado Daryl James joins us later. And Nancy Payne drops by to tell us about her feature article in this month's Advocate magazine. You're listening to the Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. Well, after 14 months, 14 long and often dark months, some light. Indeed, vaccines are now rolling into Kawartha Lakes, or at least rolling in close enough so that residents here have access to them. Despite the promise of a real, better future, some challenges, yes. Some challenges that are also unique to Kawartha Lakes. Meeting these challenges is Dr. Natalie Bocking, our medical officer of health who assumed the position earlier this year. She joins me on the line now. Dr. Bocking, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, how would you describe the rollout locally uh, to this point? So I think uh, they, they roll out locally has by and large been been a success. 
um, I think there, this is one of the largest vaccination rollout campaigns really in, in the area's history uh, in terms of the number of people uh, that we're trying to vaccinate in the, in the as fast a time and period as possible. Uh, I think like any major new initiatives, there's going to be bumps in the road, but the overall uh, trajectory has been up. And I think we see that in the proportion of people that now have received their first dose of vaccine, which is really positive. Well, let's talk a bit about those bumps, because I know that shipment numbers, uh, though they've increased, there is an up and down. Moderna uh, um, announced recently that they're not going to quite meet uh, the targets of shipping that they had hoped to or that Canadians had hoped for. How does that affect you? How do you respond to that when those shipment numbers change? Well, every time um, every time a shipment uh, number changes or the shipment receipt date uh, changes, uh, there's a lot of uh, a flurry of work goes on in the background to ensure that no appointments are cancelled, uh, to make sure that we can meet all of the um, the mobile clinics that we've committed to, uh, and and it does very much also depend on which vaccine we have scheduled in that. So we we go back, we crunch all of the numbers, we look at all the clinics and appointment dates uh, uh, to make sure that we can um, uh, avoid any cancellations. So we plan ahead, uh, but we have learned, uh, we learned very early on to be quite flexible in our planning and the need to really uh, pivot on a dime. The booking system here had many residents in Quartz Lakes requesting an appointment on the provincial website. And this happened a lot. Um, their first appointment was in Aurelia. So they booked it. And then, you know, a few days later, a more local, uh, an appointment at a more local site would become available. And this may speak to our Canadianism, but I know of a number of people who felt guilty, who felt that, no, I guess I made the, the booking in Aurelia. I, I should make that one hour drive there. What would you tell those people? Are, are, are they okay to just cancel the Aurelia one and take the local one and take whichever one is closest? I, absolutely. It's all, as long as you, I would encourage people to cancel because the last thing we want is, is somebody to not show up for their appointment um, and then the clinic to have to scramble to fill it. But if you are canceling an appointment kind of out of the area in order to make an appointment in the area, I think that's probably preferable at this point in time, especially given that we're still in a stay-at-home order. Um, I, I've been really not encouraging people to be traveling much. Uh, certainly attending a vaccine appointment is one of the reasons uh, that you can uh, get out and uh, attend that appointment. But I think if you're able to book an appointment locally, we'd be, we'd be encouraging that. Um, but also understand that our availability for in terms of appointments uh, has been limited at times because of the supply we've been receiving. So I, a lot of different factors going into why people um, are needing to travel to different places for appointments. The last thing we want to see is is 10 appointments that uh, weren't cancelled that are spots that somebody else could have mm -hmm. booked into. Well, let's just say I'm asking for a friend, not myself, but literally a friend who went through this. This is a vast geographic area with, with very few quasi-urban centres people are spread out. So how do you meet that challenge of vaccinating this kind of population when we are literally, you know, spread out, unlike somebody in the GTA? Right. It, well, and I think part of this is, um, uh, as you point out, the geography and, and ability to travel. So we've, we've used a number of different strategies. And I, I think part of the message here is that there's multiple ways to access vaccine. 
uh, we know that our mass immunization clinics, so they can see, you know, 600, 700, 800 people come through one clinic in a day. Those are, are located in larger centers with the um, with capacity so that people would be driving into them, uh, able to receive their, their vaccine and then uh, go home from there. Uh, we know that that uh, doesn't meet everybody's needs. Um, certainly for people that are uh, unable to travel, if they're homebound, we have partnered with EMS to be able to deliver vaccines at home for individuals that can't travel. We've also partnered with primary care teams and family health teams uh, to offer vaccinations through their practices, uh, which was also improving access. Uh, and then the, the province has also rolled it out through pharmacies. Um, so recognizing that, um, again, there's, there's more pharmacies in, the, in some of these smaller uh, locations uh, and people can access it there. I had a conversation with your predecessor, Dr. Gemmel, a few months back, just as the rollout started about uh, vaccine hesitancy. There are those arguments that rural areas tend to see higher rates of vaccine hesitancy. So what have you observed in, in the last three or four months? Our experience with the mass immunization clinics that have been hosted is that there are very, um, there are really no appointments that are going empty. So there is high demand for vaccine right now. We, we talk about concerns about, uh, you know, vaccine confidence or vaccine hesitancy, uh, but we've seen really good uptake. Uh, and I think that's been really very reassuring. Are the numbers consistent with, with the province in terms of um, the, the people who are on board? Absolutely. If, if, if not better, I think that other jurisdictions have seen more, um, uh, had more difficulty in filling all of their appointments. And we, uh, we certainly haven't had that challenge here. Maybe just finally, Dr. Bocking, can you, uh, I hate to put you on the hot seat here, but can you even offer any kind of prediction uh, for the summer or even a wishful goal, what you would like to see in terms of numbers, vaccination, in terms of vaccination over the summer? Oh, wishful numbers. So, I, I mean, I think that uh, by the end of uh, June, we're, we're going to be seeing that uh, 65, 70 percent uh, having received first dose. And, and we know that because our region uh, received less vaccine initially, that we're playing a bit of catch up to some of the larger hotspot areas that received more vaccine to ensure that um, we receive the highest or we achieve the highest um, percent of population that's received that first dose. That's the most important first step. And then we we focus on getting the second doses in. Um, and I, there will be a huge focus uh, likely throughout uh, July and August, especially in August, uh, for getting those second doses in. So I think I think the numbers we're going to be see are quite exciting over the summer and all moving in the right direction. Dr. Bocking, thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Yep, and uh, feel free to connect anytime. My name is Maria Francis from Ward's Lawyers in Lindsay, your official sponsor of the Advocate Podcast, Stories from Kawartha Lakes. We are 100% local media with great stories about our community produced and hosted by people who actually live right here in this community. And because our success thrives on downloads, we hope you'll tell your friends about us and, you know, encourage them to uh, bounce on over and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, all free thanks to our sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. The new edition of The Advocate magazine is now on stands. Its cover story was written by Nancy Payne, who joins me now to tell us about it, with, without telling us too much, of course. 
Uh, hi, Nancy. Thanks for you know walking across the hall to uh, to tell us about this. <laughs> no problem. So this is the cover story. That usually means it's a story that is especially important to the people in our community and involved considerable research. Is, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, I did talk to a lot of people and uh, it's about arts and culture in our community. And when you talk about something that's important to readers, I think there's this idea maybe from the past that arts and culture is somehow an elite thing. And the reality is that it's it's about our kids having a dance recital. It's about being able to go to the Lindsay Little Theater, or go to a gallery to see our friends' artwork, or go to a museum to learn the stories of our community. Um, although it's also an important driver of tourism increasingly. So what I learned in talking to all those folks really was that there are some very overstretched volunteers out there doing the heavy lifting in this sector. And the city has come a long way in terms of its support. And arts groups and culture groups have come a long way uh, when it comes to coordinating their requests too. Because you might remember what I think of as kind of the bad old days 10, 15 years ago. These groups would function to their limit, run out of money, come to council. And it was very piecemeal and haphazard. And that's really improved. And I think there was that perception uh, with, dare I say, people in municipal government and the public who thought, as you said, who thought of the arts locally as just kind of an elitist thing. So they had that hurdle to overcome, I guess. Maybe, but I mean, really, when you stop and think about it, like I say, our kids sing at the on the academy stage or take part in a Globus Theatre workshop or, you know, we go see the stories of, uh, you know, our community forebears in Kirkfield or we look at the Grain Elevator in Pontypool. Like, this is really culture in our midst. This is who we are. So I guess uh, what I've found quite interesting really is, first of all, all the work that uh, these volunteers are doing with relative to other communities, I'll let readers decide for themselves how much Kawartha uh, Lakes uh, supports the arts and culture sector, whether it's an appropriate level or not. These folks are working really, really hard and they have, one of the big successes has been something called the Cultural Master Plan, which passed last year. Uh, which really will get put into full effect in the next budget. So a lot of people are really waiting to see what happens there. Uh, so in the meantime, um, they're doing their best to get things ready for this season. But of course, they've been hit really hard. And without continuous sources of funding, a lot of them are getting pretty tired. Okay, without giving away too much again, what can we expect to learn after we've read this piece? I think you'll get a better sense of who's behind these organizations, the kind of work they're doing. And like I say, I hope we give people enough information to decide for themselves whether as a, as a city of Gortha Lakes we're doing enough, whether we need to do more, whether we're doing just fine when it comes to supporting arts and culture. So I'll let people make up their own minds when they read the June issue of The Advocate. Thanks for this, Nancy. Oh, thank you. The June edition of The Advocate magazine is now on stands throughout Kawartha Lakes, including Giant Tiger in Lindsay and M's Bake Shop in Cobacon. Hi, I'm Barbara Doyle from Lindsay. Hi, I'm Zach Miller from Pontypool. And you're listening to The Advocate Podcast. Stories from Kawartha Lakes. And we'll hear from Barb Doyle and Zach Miller of the Old Jail Museum a bit later in the program about a unique way of preserving our recent local history. If you're looking for a lawyer, be sure to check out our official sponsor, Ward's Lawyers. For all your legal needs, Carissa and Jason Ward have you covered. I say this from personal experience, wherein I got their expert advice before I signed a contract. Find them at wardlegal.ca.
You'll remember my conversation with Daryl James from episode 24. It's where we discussed his new solo project, apart from his regular gig with the Strumbellas. At that time, Close Kicks was still relatively new and laying the foundation to introducing its first songs to listeners, The House We Built. You can check it out at closekicks.com. Well, that house is now even bigger, if I can continue that metaphor. The House We Built was recently featured on the wildly popular hockey podcast, 31 Thoughts. It's hosted by Hockey Night in Canada's Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. Now, this would be a big deal for any musician, but an even bigger deal for Daryl, given his affinity for hockey. He's an alum of the Little Britain Merchants and still plays pickup at the rec center in Lindsay. I caught up with Daryl recently, whose Close Kicks now has produced two songs, but I asked Daryl why he thought the producers of 31 Thoughts went with The House We Built. Just because it's, you know, really focused around sports and team building and just sort of the whole idea uh, that their podcast is sort of based on. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of the focus, but I did show them both because um, you never know what you know, maybe they'll find a, an opportunity for the second song later on. Did you tell them about your own hockey background with uh, the merchants at all? I haven't yet. No, that's uh, not crossed. I hope that at some point I could, you know, maybe speak to Jeff or Elliot or uh, at some point because I have, you know, my junior C hockey days and playing AAA in, with the Central Ontario Wolves uh, when I was a kid. But then when I stopped playing hockey, I refereed uh, hockey at a very high level. I got to level four. Did some OHL Cup championships. I did the um, like the Tier Two Junior A finals a couple of years as a linesman. So I, I got pretty far as a referee as well. So uh, and I still actively play with the nine one one local league on Tuesday mornings here in Lindsay. So it's kind of been hockey's been part of my life forever. Um, and then I I was a linesman in the OHA, which you know does Junior D to Tier Two A, and I and I lined two years. Uh, of the finals of the of the tier 2a like the all ontario final all, all canadian finals the royal bank cup finals so so given your own um, strong connections to hockey and your own history what what does having your music being featured on a, a huge hockey podcast what does that mean to you it's just it's just like you know it's hard to believe some days like that uh, you know it's one thing to have it in a band with like six other people and you know, we worked on it for a really long time, but, you know, to do this sort of on my own in, in this little studio that I'm in now, uh, that's kind of where I got these songs completed. Um, and just to think that there's like a connection and that there's, you know, you know, kind of like major brands or big podcasts or bigger names that are like interested in these songs and featuring them. It's just sort of mind blowing. And it's just something that I really don't take for granted and, and really just kind of, uh, you know, try to you know, I guess just keep it in perspective, just kind of keep my head down, keep trying to get the next one and, and hopefully continue to build on it. If you were to compare this to, you know, the, the band performing on um, on Jimmy Kimmel, this here, given your strong connection to hockey, probably even more so than a lot of the other people in the band, how is this different given your, your, your history, your past history in hockey? Oh, uh, it's just an honor. Like when you're so tied in and then you have the, you know, the two, you know, Jeff and Elliot, who are just like, obviously like super well-known names as far as, you know, hockey analysis and, and interviews. And they've just been around the game so long. Uh, and they've just, I think they're two, uh, two people that I've followed, you know, throughout my life of hockey. So the fact that they're into my music and they're into featuring it and, and sort of spreading the word is, is truly an honor. So as an artist, what could this mean for you? 
Well, I don't get too far ahead of myself with that. I find like in my days of the, in the Strombellas, it was like every little piece is like a stepping stone to getting you further towards your goal. Um, and, you know, I found in the Strombellas, like every time we had this amazing moment, it was like, oh, this is our break. Like we're going to make it big now. And it never happened. It took like hundreds of those mini moments or thousands of those mini moments to happen and to build on success. So I think I'm lucky to have that. I think I would be, uh, you know, probably in some ways you get more devastated if it doesn't get as big as, as you wanted from the particular podcast. You're like, oh, it didn't happen. So I just know that this is a part of that building block, part of every little ad I get with the song, every little piece of momentum I have, especially after I've released the song. I released the song in early January. So to continue to get to build on it months and months after, that's the goal. If you can continue to for people to listen to your song three, four, five, six months, years after the re release, then you're really getting on to something. It's kind of like what you don't want is for you, you know, to release the song. And two weeks later, there's absolutely no interest and there's no spins in it. So I'm excited that the momentum's still there, that people are still excited. And I just see it as like a stepping stone to build from and to continue to release more music. This is the second release by Close Kicks. You made it home. Heard something in your voice, man, on the call. Something told me that you weren't gonna tell it all. But you're not alone, just gotta ride alone. Eyes on the road, lean on who you know.
You Made It Home by Close Kicks, Daryl James's solo project. Something tells me Hockey Night in Canada's Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick will be knocking on Daryl's door again to feature this song too on their popular podcast. Check out that song and The House We Built, which was recently featured on 31 Thoughts at CloseKicks.com. My name's Jason Bain. I'm from Lindsay, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. One of the coolest and kindest things to really gain steam in the past year and a half or so are those little boxes sitting on top of pedestals in front yards. You know what I'm talking about, right? They're filled with books. You take a book, you leave a book. It's all free. Well, Amy Van Gerven has done one better. At the end of her driveway in Lindsay, uh, that now familiar looking box, she has one of those uh, with the unlocked door and inside several shelves, but you won't find books in there. I met with Amy right next to this unique lending library. So I love books as well, and I'm an avid reader, so I love the idea of the little libraries around town and have always utilized them and used them. Um, But I also love puzzles, so I thought to myself, in the area that we've been in, there's been plenty of book boxes, so why not do a puzzle box? Um, With puzzles, I find them they're a lot like books, too. At least people I talk to, you do them once and then they kind of pass them on. It's interesting because it's almost like you approached it like a small business. Like, okay, there's a whole bunch of other corner stories here. We're going to do something differently. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you could kind of look at it that way. I just thought they were doing so well in sort of with their niches and their their book boxes. So no need to sort of flood the area with it. And I love puzzles and I was wanting to find a new way to sort of swap puzzles. What is it about that relationship with puzzles? Because I've often found that people either love them or they just get frustrated with them? It's kind of the only time I can sort of just zone out and relax. Um, I like the idea of putting something that is all in pieces and kind of creating organization out of it. I'm a pretty detail-oriented person and relatively patient, so for me, it's just, honestly, it's just pure relaxation when I'm doing a puzzle. I just wonder how much work goes into stuffing, and I'm looking at this now, and it's chock full of jigsaw puzzles. How much work goes into to restocking that and making sure that it looks the way it is now, that, that you do have a, a bevy, a, a full supply? Honestly, nothing. <laughs> That's what we found too at our house in Peterborough when we had it as well. Um, we had a great community atmosphere like I'm finding that we have in Lindsay right here. Um, I put posts, I guess, out on social media that the box was up. and. Within a couple days, there was 800 views of the box, people responding right away, commenting, finding out where it was, um, what kind of puzzles we accepted. Was it young kids' puzzles? Was it adult puzzles? Did that Uh, surprise you? um, I would say how quickly people responded. Yes, that that surprised me. Um, I know in Peterborough, like I said, it was very, very well received at our house there and constant turnover. I'm finding here it's even more of a turnover. So like I can come out every couple hours and there'll be new puzzles here. So. And what are they doing? Are they leaving them on your doorstep or what happens when they... They seem to be um, just, it seems to be enough room. So it's like they're obviously like, I see people getting out of their cars and they're dropping off two or three puzzles and then they're taking a couple puzzles. It's pretty cute. I like it because you see children coming with their parents and they have to lift them up to pick out a puzzle. And then you see, we've seen a couple um, elderly women get out of an SUV that was driven by somebody. They each dropped off their puzzle and grabbed a new one. So I like the idea that it appeals to everybody. 
I don't, it just makes me happy and I love like we have small children so they love watching people out the window too dropping off puzzles and they get excited because they do jigsaw puzzles themselves so you know they'll pop out to see if there's been a little kid here if there's a new um, children's puzzle that they can do themselves so for me it just it just makes me happy I'm glad people are using it and I'm glad that there's such quick turnover when you put in a book, you can flip through it and go, okay, all the pages are there. Maybe I'll rip out that one that has a signature on it. But when you're talking, I'm looking at one there, a thousand pieces. How much work is it to ensure that, that they're intact? Yeah, th that I definitely don't go through. I have no idea whether they're intact. If I do them myself and I put them back in the box, I'll write if the pieces were there, all the pieces were there and put the date on it. For the most part, I would say 90% of the puzzles that I've done out of the puzzle box that we've had, all the pieces are there. How do you compare the emotions of completing a book versus completing a jigsaw puzzle? Hmm, that's a good question. I never really thought about that. A, I guess a book just, I think more about the book and about what I've, yeah, the plot and what I've learned or what the conclusion is. With the puzzle, it's just more, I'm one of those people where as soon as I'm done a puzzle, I don't just let it sit there and stare at it. I just quickly pull it apart and put it back in the box. <laughs> Hi, my name is Mari Bew, a teacher at IE Weldon Secondary School, and you're listening to The Advocate Podcast, stories from Kawartha Lakes. When this is all over, and it will be over, we'll still remember it, and we should. It's part of our history. And years from now, the old jail museum wants to ensure that this history, especially our local history surrounding the pandemic, is preserved. It's doing this by soliciting letters from residents, letters that speak to these individual personal experiences during the past 14 months. You're going to hear my conversation about how and why the museum is doing this. I spoke with Barbara Doyle. She's a project manager with the museum and its volunteer general manager and Zach Miller, the Vice President of the Victoria County Historical Society. But you'll also hear portions of some of these letters that they've already received, as read by Lindsay Little Theatre actors Ruben Stewart, Nate Copeland, and Jeannie Truax, and also from Yannick Grignon. The accompanying music is by Lindsay's Ben Hainer. For me, the hardest thing has been not seeing my family. I miss my grandchildren. We're into the second round of birthdays that I've missed. Photos and Facebook only go so far. I sent audiobooks that they can turn the pages to a recording of me reading it to them. It's not enough. So by doing the COVID stories, we want to, for one, stay relevant and we want to currently collect, but we also want to make sure that the community members see value in the museum being a part um, of the Corth Lakes culture uh, rather than just simply uh, presenting old artifacts. If you feel like the museum is actively interested in your lives, um, it will really help um, expand our reach and our overall effectiveness in, in the city. I feared that Ontario was not ready for a large influx of patients in hospitals. Nor did I think that long-term care facilities could handle outbreaks. I said this in class and did not get the sense that others really cared. Kind of felt like I was being overly paranoid and dramatic. This is something that's really referred to as particip participatory culture. It's actually having people contribute to what is collected of themselves so that they can view themselves in the exhibit. So it's familiar, it's, it's something that reflects our community as it is. It's not just 
picking and choosing highlighted figures. It's showing the everyday person. It's showing the real community as it stands now. And knowing that this will be something that can be um, displayed or exhibited fairly currently, but also 20, 50, 100 years from now, it is a major snapshot of, of the real people of Kortholik. I was sitting in class at Ontario Tech University, and my professor asked the class if we were worried about the virus that was spreading in China. This would have been mid-January when she asked. Out of roughly 30 students in the class, I was the only one who raised my hand. I did so not because I knew the extent to what COVID would bring to individuals and their families, but because of how strained and... The more letters uh, we can get, the more individuals who come into the museum can connect to each of those letters in any uh, way possible, whether it's a sentence in one letter from an individual or an entire paragraph that they can relate to. Well, we wanted to keep it open, as open as possible, um, and just appeal to um, really anybody to tell us anything they feel um, necessary about their experiences with uh, COVID-19. So how personal they get is really up to them. In providing a personal perspective of my experience throughout the global pandemic, I must first acknowledge the tremendous amount of luck and privilege involved regarding its impact. To date, there has yet to be one individual I've known who has endured any significant, long-term, or devastating effects as a result of the virus. Both of my grandparents are partially vaccinated and due for their second dose in America. Everybody's experience is a little bit different. <sighs> I mean, COVID-19 is a global pandemic. Everybody's in the same boat, but we're not all, sorry, everybody's in the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. We all have different experiences. Uh, one letter came in from a woman whose mother had COVID, but recovered. And the, the letter was about that experience of, of you know, dealing with the hospital visits and, and the recovery and, and the impact um, and the uncertainty of whether she would recover. Um, other people are talking about how they miss their families, what it's like to have their work changed, um, school uh, impact, so online learning. And I constantly hope that they're young enough and that this year will be a blip in their lives that they won't really remember for the time that grandma didn't see them for more than a whole year. You know, say whatever they want. Like, don't put, we don't put any restrictions on it. Just write what you feel, whether it's something big or small, or you want to cover from March 2020 to March 2021, or whether you just want to focus on, I don't know, April 15th of 2020 for a day that really uh, impacted you. I would have to take a deep breath after every letter and go for a walk and just collect myself. What was it like for you to go through these these reams of very personal experiences? Well, it was actually, well, it's very exciting when we check the mail and a hard copy letter has arrived because it's like Christmas morning. <laughs> and kind of opening up and not knowing what it's going to contain has, has been really um, fascinating. But then going through it, there are common themes. Um, and I think that, you know, things that are, people are really familiar with that we've discussed. And then other ones are just kind of really interesting and, and original. So we just don't know what we're going to get. Every time I think we would have an opportunity to have a visit, another shutdown, a scare at Lily's daycare, someone has a cold, better not to risk it. I work in a public building in another town. I am not in their bubble. A new term to describe the close contact family unit you can be with. And I can't risk bringing the virus to them. 
I feel that children learn best and thrive off consistency and schedules. In my personal experience, after nine months of helping and watching the children with online learning, children in this pandemic have been slighted in the sense that they are not receiving or experiencing everything they need to thrive and learn. One we received was actually a fiction piece. Yeah, that it was acknowledged was... as a fiction piece. And a couple of others were just very short. Um, <laughs> one response was just one sentence. Um, <laughs> the woman said that her experience with COVID-19 is she's been trying to avoid it like the plague. Yeah. <laughs> and that was all she had to say about it. And that was perfectly fine. I was hired as a nanny to watch a five-year-old and a three-year-old late in August of 2020. I had no idea what to expect, but was told that the five-year-old was going on to be attending kindergarten through online learning. I had attended online classes throughout high school and college, but had no idea what to expect when it came to complete online learning. This was also a new experience for the five-year-old because to learn how to set up, use, and log on to her school meetings is a lot of work and comprehension that I didn't feel she needed to learn. During my class, I learned that children... Right at the start of this pandemic, of course, the 1918 uh, Spanish flu was uh, topical and we... Uh, everyone was posting about their city's experiences with that. And nowadays, reporting is completely different than how it was back in the day. Uh, you pick up your paper back in 1918 and you get to know, you know, what your neighbor says about this and what the person across town says about that. But nowadays, when you read a news article, it's just simply um, facts and maybe one person's uh, opinion on it other than the editor or the, the columnist. So... If we don't collect this now, if we don't have uh, individuals sending in their, their thoughts on it, their experiences, we, we won't ever get them because we won't have that resource that we have now when looking back and doing historical uh, research. I learned that children at her age should be learning about social interactions with her peers and rudimentary skills such as her alphabet, numbers, and writing her name. Instead, the child was learning seven different teachers' names as the school system hadn't worked out and this is really for the town, right? This is for um, anybody, Kirkfield or Kinmount or Pontypool, uh, Omimi, they can come here in, say, 50 years or 25 years or whenever they want to do some research on uh, COVID-19, and we have that resource available to them. I mean, that's one of the values of having a community museum. We are specific to Kortha Lakes. We collect specifically uh, stories and artifacts and and items of interest for the people who live here, but also the people who want to learn more about here. We have a lot of visitors, obviously, every year. My great-grandfather, who has moved into retirement home this past year, is fully vaccinated. All immediate and extended family have retained employment and have not suffered financially. Myself and those I am close to reside in rural communities where community transmission is low. I do not experience maltreatment as a result of ongoing racial or ethnic disparities that have escalated since the beginning of the pandemic. This is a great feat. Rural life, like the city of Corth Lakes, is definitely different than, say, Durham or, or Brampton or GTA. And we have all of these amazing communities within that section, and we all have our individual kind of identities but we're all covered by the city of Corth Lakes. So this is a way for Bob Cajun to people to ha talk about what's happening in Bob Cajun, people from Fenland Falls, people from Omimi, like all over are able to share their individual experiences 
but also being part of their community, being part of our community, and knowing that the history of our community is local, it's relevant, they're relevant, their voices matter. We are all about ensuring that the individual voices, as well as the larger community voice, is preserved and respected. If you'd like to contribute a letter to the Old Jail Museum's program called What's Your COVID Story, they would welcome hearing from you. You can contact them at oldjailmuseum.ca. Now keep in mind, jail here is spelled G-A-O-L. My thanks to Ben Hainer for contributing that wonderful music for that piece. And my thanks also to those fine LLT actors, Jeannie Truax, Ruben Stewart, and Nate Copeland, who loaned us their skills in reading some of the letters the museum has already received. The Lindsay Little Theatre is currently rehearsing for a COVID-safe outdoor performance this summer of William Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. Information on that at lindsaylittletheatre.com. Big shout out to the people who make this show possible and have since day one, almost a year and a half ago. Jason and Carissa Ward are the reason you can listen twice a month for free. They and their team at Ward's Lawyers have you covered for all your legal needs. You can find them at wardlegal.ca. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We love hearing from you. This show relies on downloads and streams, so please tell your friends about us and uh, please do consider subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our theme music is written and performed by the very talented Gerald Dan Halteran. The Advocate Podcast Stories from Quarth Lakes is produced by me, Denny Grignell. Hey, tomorrow, June 2nd, some restrictions are lifted. And if you can figure out which restrictions those are, well, feel free to drop me a line and explain it to me. Talk to you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.